I don't know. How many of you remember the game Sorry? Yeah. I mean, the object of, of this game is um, you're to be the first one to get your four pawns from the starting gate to, to home, and, and you end up winning. And it, and it sounds simple, and I'll be honest with you, it sounds a little boring. But a game like this, in the hands of the two boys that I grew up in a home with, was anything but boring. And sorry, it's a good name for it, incidentally. I mean, uh, th- this was in typical fashion in our household. We would pop open the box. We'd get the game board laid out. Might read the instructions and remind ourselves on it. And uh, we'd get the cards. And then we would get the game pieces and decide who was going to be what color. Now, okay, well, wait a minute. We would fight over the game pieces in our household. You know, and it usually went something like my brother would say, I'm yellow. And I'd say, no, I'm yellow. I'm always yellow. And so my brother was younger than me, so I would do things like I would suggest to him, I'd say, well, why don't you be red and I'll be green? So are you red? And he'd go, yeah. I'd go, well, okay, since you're red, the color of your favorite team, the Chiefs, I'll be yellow and go with the Steeler colors. Sorry. And that was pretty typical in our household. So let the games begin. You know, and the object of, of this game is to get, get all your pieces to home plate. And uh, I can't tell you how many times the secondary object became the focus for the two of us. And you know what the secondary object is? Knock your opponent back to the beginning and replace that spot with yours. And so, you know, you, that would happen by, by drawing the all-powerful, almighty, Victor card called the sorry card, which basically allowed when you, when you drew this card, and I don't know, maybe, maybe we were different in our household than, than yours, but if you drew the sorry card, you drag your play out big time. You draw it, you'd look at it, you know what you got in your hand, and then you would do something like, man, I, I can't catch a break. Now, one, two, this is ridiculous. Only two. Oh, wait a minute. It's, no, it's one giant leap for mankind. Two, you'd flick your brother's piece off and replace it with yours in a very dramatic fashion. And then you would say what? Sorry. And you always had to, you ever notice it's got that edge to it, doesn't it? Sorry. You know, sometimes the competition in our household would get intense. It just did. And it would lead to another game in which my mom got involved. (laughs) We're in my brother's room and we're playing and... uh, We'd kind of, he'd start hearing the volume go up, and then you would hear from the other room. My mom would go, Damon Lee, get in here. Now, this is what I know. If I heard my middle name, 
I was in trouble. It didn't matter. I was in trouble. And so I'd go in, and she would go, you know, what's going on? And I'd try and wiggle around it. And finally she would say, go in there, and you tell your brother you're sorry. Now, yeah, you're going to find this hard to believe, but if my mom didn't accompany me in and listen to what I had to say, I got terribly creative as a kid. And so I would go in and I would go, sorry, you're so sorry at playing sorry. And then I would head out of the room and head down to my room and my mom would usually catch me about midstream and she would say, did you tell your brother sorry? I'd have to think about what she asked me. So I could get creative again. I know the the kids are going, they're hanging on the edge. They're going, see, that's how it works, you know. But I, she would go, did you tell your brother you were sorry? Oh, yes, Mom, three times I said sorry. And she'd usually stop me and she'd go, what did you say exactly? Well, um... I said, sorry, what else did you say? And at that point, I thought, man, I am, I am dead in the water. I said, sorry, you're so sorry at playing sorry? And usually, friends, I was sorry when my dad got home on that one. So, you know, but that, that was kind of typical, a typical game in, in our household. But we live in a world... I think, where we step on each other. We get in each other's spaces quite often in, in, in life. And it, we're pretty good at putting people in their place. You know, we, we don't extend very much grace in this world. And I think I'm sorry has kind of morphed into something more like, sorry, you know, sorry, they're going to be sorry. Sorry, <laughs> I'm going to fix you. Sorry, yeah, you're right, you're sorry. And I have watched people through the years that what they've done in their life is they've picked up all the game pieces, they put everything away, they box it up, this whole little silly game called sorry, and they've removed the game from their vocabulary and from their life. You know, I've watched people that have demolished marriages. I've watched people damage kids, disintegrate careers, even destroy themselves because they're trying to avoid saying sorry or accepting someone else's sorry in life. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the games we play, these sorry, sad, messed up games. Where, and I want to look at the issue of forgiveness in life. The Apostle Paul, he says in Ephesians 4, 31, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. And to me, when I first read that, I think, well, this is unreasonable. 
I mean, it's unreasonable because Paul's writing these words and he doesn't know us, does he? I mean, he doesn't know our stories. He doesn't know our heartbreak. He doesn't know the times, uh, what we've had to go through in our lives. But he, he says, get rid of it all. I mean, he doesn't know about our marriages. He doesn't know about our kids. He doesn't know about our parents, our bosses, our finances. He knows absolutely zero about our lives. And yet he makes that kind of request. And I think, well, how handy is that? I mean, Paul's kind of tucked away 2,000 years ago. And he doesn't have to answer our questions. Uh, you know, he can kind of do his own, own thing. You know, we can't line up after service today and go, well, what about this, Paul? I went through this. You know, this is the problem in my life. This is my story. This is what happened to me. You know, Paul, Paul says, you know what? I'm going to lay out a really simple winning strategy for life. It's simple to understand. It's difficult to implement, but it's simple to understand. He says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of all this stuff. You know, in the Greek, uh, get rid of is, uh, it's sort of like the picture. You ever, you ever walking and you walk into a spider web? What do you do? I mean, what's your first thought when you get in a spider web? Where's the spider? You know, and what you do when you run into that spider web, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, you dance, and, and, and you just want to get it off of you. You go into action immediately. You want the web off, and that's all you can think about, and that's the picture. That's the picture, Paul says. That's what it means to remove yourself from, from all the anger, all the rage, all the brawling, all the slander, all that stuff. And Paul, I think, does know us because some of you are sitting there going, well, he didn't name my thing. You know, we talked a little bit about that last week. He didn't name what well, Paul says. Well, just in case I didn't get to your thing, along with every form of malice. See, he knows you. He gets you. Paul says, anything that causes you to say things or to do things that become a wedge, he says, I want you to go into action and I want you to deal with it. I want you to deal with it. If you're in the store, you know, you're walking around Target or Snooks or something, or you're at the office, or maybe at church, and you see someone, you spot them. And as soon as you see him, you want to go the other way. You go, well, he's just my pastor anyway. You know. Now, you, so you spot him, and you want to go the other way because of something that happened. And Paul says, you know what? You've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with this stuff. I mean, if that someone is an ex-spouse or a boss or a neighbor or whatever, that you've got to deal with it. If there's a problem, Paul says you've got to clear the air. Now, don't misunderstand me. He doesn't say that you then have to hang out with them, you know, spend all your time with them, reinstate maybe the relationship to the level it was before. But he says whatever the tension, whatever the struggle, whatever the problem, he says I want you to deal with it. I want you to deal with it. And friends, this is tough, tough, tough stuff. You know, because I've heard through the years 
the, the kind of stories that honestly make your head spin. You know, if, if we were to go around this room this morning, I imagine just about every person here could tell a story of something that's happened to them. And as you were telling the story to everyone, we would all be tempted to go, whoa, whoa, you're an exception. Yeah. You get to keep your anger. Go ahead, hate them. You know, keep on hating them. We'll hate them with you. You know. And if the truth were known, we love to tell the story. True? We love to tell the story because we love it when we tell our story of how we've been hurt, how we've been wounded, how, how we've been cheated or whatever. And we love it when people go, oh, wow. And I also think we like to tell it because then everybody knows. They get the facts on someone else. And Paul says, you know what? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. I think when we encounter a piece of scripture like this that really digs into us a bit, I think we go, well, that's just idealistic, you know, and we kind of want to pass it off and say, well, that's why I don't read the Bible. I mean, the Bible tells you to do all this crazy stuff that nobody can do. I mean, there's just no way. And I understand, I mean, I understand why we think like that. But I think there's a couple reasons we have to really take this passage seriously in our life. And the first is Paul, Paul is writing, and it's not him writing from some uh, fairy tale happily ever after life. I mean, Paul's writing from prison. Paul, Paul wrote these words. He had been arrested, he'd been thrown in prison in Rome, and it was for something he wasn't guilty of. He was framed, he was beaten. He was mistreated, and he even he had filed appeal after appeal after appeal, and he had been ignored for years. Basically, the appeals would come through, and they'd just go, oh, well, it's just him. And Paul's sitting there that entire time in that cell knowing that if he got a new trial, he'd be released, he'd be free. Think about that. Think about it. I mean, Paul is in a position that he should have had forgiveness issues. He has anger potential big time in his life, and he has every reason under the sun to be ticked off. And Paul writes, deal with your anger, deal with your rage, deal with your, all the malice, all this stuff, no exceptions. Sorry. No exceptions. And I think the second reason we have to take Paul really serious is that Paul believed this could be done. I mean, imagine if you could encounter some attitude, some, some way of living that would allow you to do that verse. The, that you could be free from, from anger, that you could face your, your worst enemy in, in life. And can you imagine what that would be like? Seriously, I mean, Paul alludes to the fact that it's possible. And here's what I think. If Paul, after everything he'd been through in his life, if he believed it was possible, I'm thinking, okay, at least I should give him a listen. I, I should pay attention a little bit. 
And here's the truth. You know, I was thinking as I sat at my desk that, you know, if you were to tell your story today, what would happen? I mean, for some of you, as you started telling your story, the tone of your voice would change. And it, was, it would change because you're really torqued. I mean, you're really ticked off about it. And in fact, if the truth were known, you're sort of angry not only at that person, but you're angry at a lot of people around you. You're angry at everyone. You know, and, and some of you, you've kind of went to pro status with this thing. Because what you do is you put on your game face, and you're much more sophisticated about your anger. People don't really read it, but inside, inside, you want to vaporize. You want to take someone out. You know, in, a, in your mind, it's like one of these days, they will be sorry. They ever cross my path. I will fix them big time. And, and we play a game. We play a game. And I'm convinced we all do it at times. We play this game where we begin to have conversations in our mind where we win. We destroy. You know, we have conversations, put them in situations. We dream about them looking foolish, them going down, them losing big time in their life because it's how we play the game. Because of anger, just because of anger, we do this stuff. And Paul says, if you're a Christian, quit playing games. Paul says, if you're a Christian, you got to take the anger card out of your hand. It's no longer valid. And, and then Paul says, I'm going to show you how. I'm going to give you instructions on how. Instead of carrying anger, instead of carrying slander, instead of carrying all this malice, all this garbage that we carry, Paul goes on to the next verse and he says, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Here we go. Read with me. Forgiving one another. In other words, the way to deal with the wedge, the way to deal with that person that you want to run from, that individual you can't stand, you know, even hearing their name, you kind of cringe. You know, that person that you don't want to read their letter, that person that you're playing this sad, sad, sorry game with. Paul says the way to deal with it is really simple. You know, in fact, it's almost simplistic. And again, I'm not saying it's easy to do, but Paul says it has to do with a thing called forgiveness. Forgiveness. You know, in the Greek, there, there are two words for the word forgiving. Paul could have used the most common one. It was used in, in many, many settings. And he could have used that common word, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He, he, the common word would have been like a courtroom term. You know, a jury says guilty. And the judge bangs on the gavel and says, you're guilty, but you're pardoned. That's, that was the common term. And that's the same word that is used for the forgiveness of God. And so Paul could have used that, but he didn't. He uses the other word, and it's a much more relational word. In fact, it means gracious, graciously give the gift of forgiveness. And Paul says, church, when you think about relationships with other people, 
I want you to develop a mindset, an attitude, a way of living where you're constantly giving the gift of forgiveness. No, they didn't ask for it. No, they don't deserve it. But he says, forgive them anyway. Forgive them anyway. And and I understand the difficulty here. The difficulty isn't understanding what we're talking about or what Paul's saying. The difficulty is doing it. Because through the years, you know, I have heard the stories, and I, and I understand the difficulty. You, you get fired. Uh, your, your, your marriage goes bust. Your children go crazy. You know, custody battles, abuse, and death. And, you know, I, I have heard stuff through the years that there are times, I guess I've become very jaded as a, as a pastor, that there really isn't anything new. It's like, well, the world can get dark. It can get dark. And there are times as I'm sitting across the table from someone or out in the hall and they begin to tell me, it's like, I get mad inside. I think, what kind of world is this? You know, I would never in a million years stand up here before all of you and say, look, forgive, just forgive, just forgive, just let it go. Sometimes forgiveness seems impossible. I mean, it seems impossible when I hurt you, you hurt me. And I've said this before, as long as it's you and me, I am absolutely not motivated to forgive. In fact, I don't even know if I know how naturally to forgive. So I I just play the game. I just play the game sorry. Give it lip service, but don't really mean it. But Paul says, you know what? There's a new strategy here. There's a new way to live. He says, forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgave you. See, forgiveness is not based on what you've done or what I've done. It's not based on whether you're worthy or not worthy. It's based on how I've been treated by God. Shift. It's a shift in thinking. Paul, Paul's instructions are crystal clear. I'm to forgive because I've been forgiven. In fact, say that with me. I'm to forgive because I've been forgiven. The issue isn't pain. The issue isn't whether you were right and they were wrong. The issue isn't that your story registers a 9 on a 10 scale or if it registers 20 on a 10 scale. The issue is how you've been treated by your creator, by God. You know, the word forgiving, it's a present tense word. You know, the idea were to reflect God's style constantly forgiving. There is no end to it. You know, it's, uh, I'm trying to explain this a little bit. If God took a picture of your life and he could take snapshots of those times when you just messed up big time and he handed you those and he goes, remember this incident? Hmm, I'm not really... You remember it, don't you? Yeah. Remember this one and this one? And trust me, there'd be scrapbooks full for me. 
And as I remembered those times, as I remember those times I messed up, maybe intentionally, maybe not, as I remembered those times when I desperately needed God's forgiveness in those moments where maybe I'd promised God for the hundredth time that I wouldn't and I did, you know, the, the fact is, if I really focus on those times, sometimes it's just flat out embarrassing. There have been times I couldn't even talk about, couldn't even pray about whatever it was. So you just run. You just run. And then something finally rocks you. And you hit that point where you reach out and you go, I'm sorry. And God, in those moments, says, I know you're sorry. I forgive you. You live. You live in a state of forgiveness. It's always here. And friends, I would challenge you as you think about the people that have hurt you. If you were honest, if you were honest, most of those things become pretty petty when you get right down to it. They're not big, they're not major, they're not life-changing. Some are, but most aren't. And friends, when you're tempted to hold on to that anger, I would challenge you to focus on what God's done for you over and over and over and over and over again in your life. Now, I like the cartoon uh, Calvin and Hobbes because it's got... uh, they've they got an intellectual level to them. And uh, uh, Calvin, he's talking to his tiger friend, Hobbes, and he says, I feel bad. I feel bad. I, I called Susie names and hurt her feelings. I'm sorry I did that. Well, maybe, maybe you should apologize to her, you know, Hobbes suggests to him. And then in the next frame, he's kind of pondering, thinking about it. And then he says this, and I love it. I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. If you don't get anything else today, get this. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, the moment you bowed a knee to Jesus Christ, the moment you gave God the reins in your life, the moment that you stood at the cross, you lost the right to not forgive. You no longer, as a Christian, have the right to not forgive. And this stuff, friends, is vital to the church. Forgiveness. You know, first of all, forgiveness is the only way you restore relationship. I mean, once someone hurts you or once you hurt them, you know, once we've offended one another somewhere along the way, the only way to restore is forgiveness. Those of you that are married know about this, right? Right? If you've been married more than a day. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm just shattering your image of me, I'm sure, and you're not going to believe this. But hold on. Sometimes, sometimes, I do things that make Cindy mad. Yeah, there we go. Let's say that together. No. I told you, I told you you weren't going to believe it. You were going to find that hard to believe. So, 
you know, sometimes uh, I, I just mess up. And uh, so when I mess up, I try and make things right. So there are different things I've tried through the years. Like I've tried like doing the dishes and the laundry, you know, doesn't work. I've tried getting her gifts, you know, flowers or, or you know, whatever. And that just makes her mad because I spent the money. In my dumber days, like last week, um, <laughs> you know, I go to her and I say, I'm sorry you're so upset. I'm sorry that offended you. Definitely doesn't work. Friends, when I come creeping back and I finally say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Now it's up to her. It comes down to Cindy deciding she's going to forgive me. If there's no forgiveness, there's no relationship. Forgiveness is it's the door back in. And as a church, as a church, we've been called to work together, to do some great things for God. And I believe we are as a church. But if we are not a community characterized by forgiveness, there is no hope in this world. Because it's just a matter of time. You can take notes on this. Something's not going to work out. Someone's going to mistreat your kids. I'm going to mess up. I know, find it hard to believe, but I might mess up. You can just take it to the bank, mark it down, and say, he said that the first part of June, 2008. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he uh, says, forgiveness offers a way out. And, And get this, he goes, it does not settle all the questions of blame and fairness. Oftentimes it pointedly evades those questions, but it does not, but it does allow a relationship to start over, to begin new. Friends, if we aren't a community of forgiveness, it's just a matter of time and we will disintegrate. We will fall apart. It isn't always easy either. And I remember several years ago, uh, Cindy and I were dealing with an individual that, um, I'll just say was very troubled. And um, one night, that individual showed up at our home. And I answered the door, and there he was, ranting and raving. And he wanted to come in the house. And I could tell just by the, the amount of anger and stuff that was there, it was like he was not coming in the house. And when I informed him that he wasn't coming in the house, that I would be glad to talk to him on the porch, uh, he got more angry. And it, it, the bottom line, it just got way, way out of hand. And finally, uh, I ordered him off the property. And uh, so fast forward a couple of weeks. I'd just finished preaching. I was heading, heading down the hall. Guess who I come face to face with at church? I said, how you doing? Now, that's what I said. Inside, this is what I was thinking. 
Are you joking me? Are you kidding me? What are you doing in church? You out of control, sick sinner. What are you doing here? I mean, that's what I'm thinking. And him and his wife started coming to church regularly. I never did quite figure out how we we ended up there. But here's what, what I was faced with. I was faced with a decision in my life. I mean, I could have spent my time going around, and when someone says, hey, you met the new couple, say, oh, let me tell you about them. Mm-mm. Could have. Or I, I could have said, okay, I, I'm not going to gossip, but I'm not going to like them, and I'm not going to acknowledge them. Or I could have decided, which I did, not going to hold it against them. I'm going to let it go. And don't misunderstand me. There are times, especially as a pastor, that it is imperative that I protect the church, that I make this a safe place, that this truly is sanctuary for people in their lives. But grace has to rule. And there's another reason why I believe grace is crucial to the church, and that is it is core to the DNA of a church. I have always found it strange that we are forgiven people and the church has this message of forgiveness, but we won't forgive. I mean, maybe you've been to churches like that. They they talk about it. They talk about the good news and the gospel, but nobody gets along. There are all these factions and divisions in the church, and there's just something terribly, terribly awry. And that, and Paul says, you know what, get rid of it all. Get rid of it all. You need to ditch it. You know, if you don't get rid of all that stuff, you find yourself playing this sorry, sad, sad, sad game. And it's deadly. It's deadly. You know, if you got a report today that you had cancer, I mean, your first reaction after, after the initial fear would be, can I get rid of it? Is there, is there a cure out there? Your first reaction is, is not, I wonder what the source of it is. I wonder how I got it. I mean, that comes later. You do, you do think about those kind of things, but that comes later. Your first thought, can I get rid of it? You know? And Paul says, that, that is how you handle anger. See, we tend to reverse this stuff up. We tend to reverse our reaction. We want to track down the source. We, we go to counseling, and I'm a proponent of counseling, so don't misunderstand me here. But one of the problems with counseling is we find out we, you know, we hate our parents or that that's why we're angry, and we find the source of our anger, and we feel a little bit better. We go, oh, wow. That's why I'm such a jerk, or why that, that, they're such a jerk. And discovering the source, it's part of it. But you can't stop there. You can't stop there. You can't be content to simply track down the source any more than you'd be content to track down the source of cancer and not attempt to cure it. Paul says you have to get to the issue and deal with it. And do you realize if the person that offended you, that hurt you, that you're angry at, you know, if they came and fell at your knees this morning, they just fell at your knees and said, I was wrong, 
You were right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they truly meant it. Even if that happened, they could not give you back what they've taken from you. They couldn't. I mean, you know, I've talked to people that are angry at their parents, and it's like, your parents can't give you back your childhood. You know, if, if that person that took a shot at you, you know, took a shot at your reputation, if, if they were to scream, I'm sorry, on the CNN news tonight, they could not give you back what they took from you. You know, if that boss came to you that caused you years and years of turmoil, even if they came to you and they just said, you know what, I'm sorry, I treated you wrong, I shouldn't have done that, they can't give you the years back that they took from your life. And you know what the tragedy is? We hold people hostage all the time for stuff that they can't give us back anyway. I mean, why, why do we hold this stuff so tight? You know, why don't we just forgive? I mean, they can't pay it back anyway. Might as well cancel the debt. Just be done with it. You can psychoanalyze this stuff. You can read every book on the topic. But when all's said and done, you just got to get rid of it. Just got to get rid of it. And Christians, if you're a Christian today, you got to get serious about this stuff. You know, remind you, to focus on the source of the hurt is not going to result in forgiveness. What, it, what it's going to do, if you keep focusing on the source, you, you stay focused on the hurt, and then you sort of underscore the, the whole reason not to forgive the person. But when you and I as Christians have the guts to sit back and hold all that pain, all that hurt, all that crud, all that insensitivity, all that stuff to the light of what God's done for us. It's in that moment I get motivated to forgive. You know, to say, God, in, in light of everything you've done for me, all those times you just said, gone. It's, it's, I've forgotten it. For all those times, I'm going to let this one go. And God, you know, I'll be honest. I can't control my feelings sometimes, and you're going to have to help me. But I'm not going to hold this against them any more than you hold my sins over me. And friends, this isn't a pipe dream. It's something that can happen. It can happen today. It can happen this moment. You know, if you're here and you're not a Christian... You know, maybe you came because someone invited you. Maybe, maybe you're trying to reconnect with God. You know, maybe someone told you this is a good church, and so you stumbled in today. And let me tell you this. The first thing you need to do is not try and deal with the people that have hurt you in life. Your first step is to experience God's forgiveness. You know, and maybe you've asked God, you know, a thousand times. You've told God sorry over and over and over in your life. That's not what I'm talking about. This is different. I'm talking about accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, saying, you know what, I want to give my heart to you. And that's where you start. You know, God, I'm going to give you all this junk, all this pain. I, I don't want to deal with it anymore. See, before you can deal with forgiveness, you need a relationship with God. That's where you find the power to forgive, to get over those hurdles, those things that are shackling you, you down. 
You know, it, it's difficult to give the gift of forgiveness if you've never received the forgiveness of God. You know, I, I just bottom line, make him your savior today. You'll find things begin to, to shift in those moments. For those that have taken that step, don't let unforgiveness steal from you. Don't let it eat you up. Don't let it drive your, your family or your coworkers or your friends away. Don't get caught playing this sad, 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 sorry game. Friends, you've got to deal with life issues. You've got to deal with whatever the stuff is. But you don't have to live with it. You just don't. Forgive, because we're forgiven. That's why. And if you understand that, it's such a simple thing, but it pays high, 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 high dividends in life. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, God, we praise you for your mercy, for your grace, for your forgiveness. God, all I know is when I look at my life, I stand amazed that you're willing to wipe it all clean. You're always willing to meet me where I am. God, I pray that you would infuse us, that you would empower us to extend that same grace, that same forgiveness to all those around us. That God, when people talk about faith fellowship, They say, you know what, I don't know what's going on there, but I know that's the most loving, forgiving people I know. God, I pray that you would help us stay focused on you. God, may we always forgive as we've been forgiven. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.